Hello and welcome to the Wizards of Drivel podcast. My name is David Carlshaw. I'm joined by Ben Cartwright. You are. I am indeed. Chris Brammer is also here. I am. All present and correct. What a we are. We <laughs> <laughs> are the Panto edition of Wizards of Drivel, and it may as well be because there is very little to talk about. It finished Stoke City nil. QPR nil at Loftus Road, uh, a game dominated by two red cards, but the first of which was very early doors. Sam Klukas stamped on a man. Uh, that's annoying, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Very annoying. Really annoying. Um, and oh, just the the replays of it, I've watched it time and time again, and it's still... It's just one of those moments where it's like, what what Why? was going through your head at that point, Sam? Why did you do it? Like, it's just so... It is so I mean, it's never necessary, but it's like... The, 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 why? It's so bloody obvious as well. Like, why? I mean, yeah, people are get emotional in football, don't they? And I, I didn't expect him to be to, to be a player who flares up like that. But bloody hell, what a stupid thing! Add him, add him to the, the long list of Stoke players that get pointless red cards and ruin a Saturday afternoon. Because <laughs> I was watching it on a computer completely legally and. Um, my flatmate said to me, the the worst thing about football is you spend your whole week, your whole entire week, you're thinking of that three o'clock, you're thinking, we're going to do QPR this weekend, they're rubbish, we're going to actually have some fun. Ten minutes in, ten past three, Sam Klukas, <laughs> I didn't even see it. I was like looking elsewhere, I looked back and it's Sam Klukas, I was like, oh no, but McLean's been sent off, classic James, oh no, it's Sam. <laughs> we were supposed to like you. Yeah. yeah, well, the knives are very much out for Klukas. Lots of uh, comments about his kind of future with the team, which seems a bit bizarre given that uh, he's he's like one of the newer signings, really, given that he didn't really start his Stoke career until later in the season because of his injury. Uh, Lewis on Twitter says, I think we should be getting rid of Klukas because his attitude doesn't align with that of a Stoke player. I want players committed to the club rather than their own reputation thoughts. Blimey. I mean, I think I think that's a really, really harsh... Like, what, what's that based on, that he's, he's not committed to the club? What, based on, on this red card? Because, I mean, I can... He shushed blend- the fans that time. He did shush the fans, that's true, but I can name plenty of other players who've gone down as Stoke City legends who've done equally stupid things to get sent off uh, that uh, you can look at and be like, what was going through their head at that point? I I don't think Lucas has had an amazing start to his career with us, but equally, I don't think that he's been... We we he's done anything so detrimental that we should cut our losses and get rid of him uh, right away. Um, I think I think what you'd said is is right, Dave. He started late in his career with us because he was injured, and it takes a while to get players up to speed. and And it's been a bit of a bugger of a season for loads of players. Um, again, I I wouldn't be writing him off just yet. Yeah, it was a stupid thing to do, but some of the vitriol and, as you say, the knives that are out for him, I've I've not really understood that. Yeah, it was bloody bloody stupid, but. 
And maybe I'd feel differently if we'd lost the game and that was the, the thing that spun it. But because we didn't and because actually it was quite a decent gutsy performance, I, maybe I'm, I'm not being as critical of Klukas when perhaps I should be. I think you have to be critical of him, obviously. He's, a, he's been an idiot and I think the relationship with Klukas has always been a weird one, really, ever since he joined. I think from what I heard, certainly, from a whole fan I know, he said to me that we were going to fall in love with Klukas, and that certainly hasn't happened for whatever reason, whether that's because he didn't start the season, whether that's because he's been played out of position or he doesn't really know his position. I don't, I don't know what the reason is, but it doesn't feel like there's a very close relationship there. And, I mean, it feels like at this point in time in Stoke, we have to have opinions that are extreme to either way. I mean, Sam Klukas can be okay still, and... Yeah, he's made a stupid error, but as you say, Chris, people make errors. It's bloody annoying. Um, but yeah, I, I guess he's just, I think he's just symbolic of just Stoke and our attitudes to signing. We're just, no one's coming good. We're expecting all these players to come through the door and maybe turn it around. And Sam Klukas is another in a line of players that just hasn't done anything too exciting. He's done nothing of note. He's He's had some good games. He's had some very bad games, but... We haven't fallen in love with him, but I can't say I hate him either. He's just a bit, yeah, just another player that's like, yeah, it's Sam Klukas. Yeah, it's, um, I, I, I did think when I saw it, it was Klukas, it was like, yeah, this is probably not the best time for you, mate, to be doing stupid things like that because you haven't banked the, banked the goodwill of a run of decent performances to kind of excuse that. I mean, Atebo had a... Uh, stupid sending off earlier in the season against Derby but because we won that game mm-hmm. uh, we've kind of basically forgotten about it and Detevo's kind of come on as a player uh, yeah I'm the same I don't kind of want to um, dismiss Klukas because based on what we hear from Swansea and Hall fans there there is a player there it's just that uh, with uh, Rowett and Jones he hasn't really found his position in the team yet he's played out left he's played left back he's played centre mid and not really being able to hold down a position but it doesn't really mean that I'm I'm kind of that desperate to give him up I've certainly I certainly don't see anything that te- that says hasn't got the attitude to be a Stoke mm. player uh, which is mentioned in the question but again I'd say there's very few I'd actually label that accusation at to be honest uh, apart from maybe well, apart from obviously Berahino, who else is there that we definitely definitely hate at the moment? I I certainly struggle to name um, many. I, I think Etebo Ete, Ete was at a similar position when he got sent off with Klukas. He certainly wasn't starting week in, week out. And Rao obviously didn't have a wonderful relationship with Etebo. He didn't think he was good enough for whatever reason. And now, what, three or four months later, if that, Etebo is... I think a lot of Stoke fans agreed as our best player. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we can think Klukas isn't—he hasn't sort of put his marker down just yet. But yeah, we I, we shouldn't be writing him off yet. And the trouble is, as we've gone through many times, is there's so many players that we could get rid of, but we need to be working out the players that we <laughs> should be keeping hold of. And let's not just write people off because they've done something stupid. I mean, I I do stupid things all the time. <laughs> so, I haven't been sat from the podcast yet. 
I mean, there were. There's a lot of uh, emotion that goes into it. I mean, there were people who called for Ricardo Fuller to be sacked after he slapped Andy Griffin, you know. Um, and it's <laughs> annoying. And you know, if I'd gone to QPR, spent all the money in a ticket mm-hmm. in a train ticket, and after eight minutes he does something like that, I would be absolutely it's the most frustrating with him. thing. And obviously, there needs to be some kind of. Uh, discipline from Jones's point of view, whether that's dropping him for a few games. Obviously, he'll have to serve a suspension anyway. Uh, but what, whatever it is, he needs to kind of uh, be maybe just given that warning of you can't do that, you absolute moron. <laughs> um, but but yeah, like we said, we we I'm not really. Uh, it, it's nice that we don't do this podcast directly after a, a Stoke mm-hmm. performance. Otherwise, you know, we'd we'd be going uh, perhaps a bit overboard. Uh, but though, uh, what it inadvertently set up was a pretty gutsy Stoke display, where where we got a unlikely draw, given how early the red card was. I know QPR had a man sent off later on towards the end, but having uh, rewatched the highlights, QPR creating uh very little there weren't there weren't really any what you'd call top class saves from Jack Butland uh not many from Stoke either but that's to be expected and bit by bit we're starting to look a little bit more together as a team by no means have we properly clicked yet but uh that's five unbeaten now I know this is a bit of a rowet throwback when he went on a 10 game unbeaten run which featured about three wins but it's not to be sniffed at a, a draw with ten men away from home. Mm-hmm. Um, Danny Bart, then I like him. <laughs> He's a good player. I'm, I'm a, I am a fan as well. Um, I think that he, I think at, actually, Vokes as well when he when he has played of the two of them have shown that they are the type of player that. Nathan Jones wants in in the sense that they they are reflective of what I think he wants and he Bart has come in and oh he the, the, for for months and months we complained about there being no like leadership in the in the back and there was no organisation and and just a general sense of frustration that there didn't seem to be anyone setting things up and he he's come in and I mean he took the captaincy and. He seems to be a person who organises. He seems to be a, someone who is shouting, but not shouting in just at people like Glenn Whelan used to do. Sh- shouting in an in- encouraging way, almost. And and I think he he you talk about gutsy. He his playing style is gutsy. He doesn't seem to shirk away from responsibility or from from challenges or all that type of stuff. He. He looks a good central defender that we've sorely missed, and as a result, the players around him have looked better. It, it is telling that a player coming in with a bit of confidence um, has has made everyone else raise their game, and that that's a brilliant thing. Yeah, I, I, I like uh, Bart a lot, and certainly if you look at our transfer business this season, he is a a standout to me. You can make a case for Tabo, but it's only recently that. Uh, Atebo's properly come into form, I'd say. Um, yeah, I'm not kind of, uh, I'm not kind of, you know, totally convinced he'll be a long-term answer if and when uh, yeah. we go up next season. Uh, what 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 he looks like <laughs> to me is a 
more confident Ryan Shawcross. He's he's not a very kind of cultured defender. He's not going to spray passes out from the back line, but what he does is kind of the basics of defending very well and we've needed that for some time because we we've got good defenders on paper. We have had them. Okay, they're not the most mobile players, but Shawcross, Williams, Martins, Indy, these are good defenders, but uh for for whatever reason you know, they they just kind of made basic errors all season, but that that's kind of stopped now. And you've got to kind of think Bart's influence is a major factor in that. But uh, as yesterday showed, we're kind of defending well as a team as well. And uh, Jones kind of pointed that out in his post-match interview that, look, we're keeping two clean sheets in a row is actually quite a big deal for Stoke this season. And if we hadn't conceded that stupid goal against Ipswich, you know, our defensive mm. record you know, looks a lot better and it, it's kind of, you know, this rebuilding process and uh, it's going to, there's going to be games like yesterday, like stodgy games where you're kind of grateful for the point, but all in all, you, you're probably taking this. It is our 15th draw of the season though. Uh, that's the top most in the league alongside West Brom and Villa. Why are we drawing so many games, do we think? Well, I mean, I think... Under Rao, it was well. It, under Rao, it was just a sort of there was. I think stodgy is the word. I'd say we were drawing games because there wasn't much going on either end, and either we'd sort of score a, a goal. I think there was a lot. There was a yeah. I don't know what I'm trying to say there, but it just sort of seemed a bit more fluid. Where Nathan Jones, I think the the draws feel a bit more positive because there's that defensive stability, as you say, with Bart being in there. He's brought about a sense. That yeah, we can we can hold it. I think the problem is at the moment is when we go away, we're playing that four three three still, which is giving us great solidity. But it means that we're not really going forward with any prowess. And yeah, obviously we had ten men on Saturday, but I I don't think our performance would have been that different with eleven men because we, we're not seeing ourselves real go, really go for it, especially away from home at the moment. And then obviously at home we've got a bit more. Solidity. We're winning a couple more games, hopefully, um, but it's the team just isn't confident. There's not that flow. I think you need a flow in a team when you're going forward, and we don't have that. So we're just ending up drawing games, which is fine. I think Jones always said that this is a project, and yeah, if we draw all our games till the end of the season, there will be positives to take from them. Um, but at some point, we're going to have to kick on and, and really go for it. Yeah, yeah, the the confidence thing is a is a big thing for me. We just kind of uh, how many games a season would you point to and say, oh, they've been really entertaining games? Mm. Not many at all. Which is kind Not of this su- season. Well, there you go. Yeah, and it, and it's surprising in the sense of being in this league, which you know we you look at literally every championship game they put on Sky, it's, it's usually a lot more entertaining than watching Stoke. It's end-to-end, and the old thing of anyone could beat anybody. Uh, there was the brief uh, period at the start of the season, uh, under it where it seemed like, whoa, this is a bit mad. And then uh, Jace wrote an article <laughs> called Embrace the Chaos, and then it all, all of a sudden went to uh, a bit binary, a bit stodgy, and kind of after the... Blackburn game, that ridiculous Blackburn game where we're 3-0 down, nearly draw 3-3 and uh, we we quickly lost the chaos but at what cost you know, it was just got really, really poor to watch Uh, so yeah, and there's also the kind of uh, attitude thing of 
how many leads have we lost this season? A fair few, you know, the 2-0 uh, to 2-2 at Hillsborough, for example, was just really annoying. Mm. And, and the, that mentality thing that uh, we complained about earlier in the season of, you know, not being able to hold on to a lead uh, definitely played a part as well. Um, Liam Stokey asks, I listened on the radio and heard the Stoke fans when the players went over at full time. Are we getting the connection between fans and players back? Well, maybe not in the case of Sam Clucas, but Chris, <laughs> uh, are, are we starting to hopefully move towards a a positive dialogue? It seems like we're in relationship counselling at the moment. We're just trying to... Uh, we have to be open and honest with each other without hurting each other's feelings within the safe space of the <laughs> circle. Uh, what's, what's going on, Chris? Oh, I think that it's... When you judge where where relationships between the fans and the players has been, it can only only improve because um, I think this season we we have gone through through every every range of emotion with regards to our players. We have at times absolutely adored them, and at times wanted every single player out of the club, and there has been little in between. So. I think based on the performance of of yesterday, which was it was a performance that should be recognised as a good performance considering the circumstances. Um, I think that our fans appreciated that, and that's a good thing. Um, is it the beginning of a wonderful, beautiful relationship between fans and players? Uh, give it, give it time. But I think. Let's see what happens when we lose our next game. That'll be a, a key yeah, test for me, I think. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because I think as much needs to be said about the patience of of the fans as it does the performances of the players. But those type of performances is what fans all around the country want to see. And that is what the English footballing crowd appreciate. And yeah, more things... As as long as... It's, it, we, we, we always talk about passion and caring but yesterday it looked like they they cared about how they were playing and that's all you all you want as a fan um you want them to at least give the illusion that they care about playing for your club as much as you love supporting your club um well, a big a big thing as well is just doing well as a team yeah like obviously that connection is going to be lost if you're losing week in week out like we were last season and yeah, we expected to sort of get that back a bit in the championship. Obviously, you feel like it's less corporate, it's more real. We'll start winning games, everyone will be happier. But it just hasn't happened like that. And the connection to the the players is never going to really be the same as, as it once was. I mean, you're sort of going to be grasping for something. You're grasping at thin air, I think, if you're thinking we're going to be sort of going down a pub for a pint with players. But <laughs> Maybe so. I think maybe so. <laughs> well... Yeah, get a taxi. Um, I think, obviously, if if you're winning games, then they're going to be happier to sort of go see the kid at the end of the game. Or um, yeah, it's just that general atmosphere that we're still missing. I don't think we're ever going to get like, well, maybe one day the connection to the club will be so good that a player will come on the Wizard Drill podcast. That would be nice. A current player will join us three. <laughs> For our tomfoolery, um, that's when we know that the club is back to its best. Yeah, I mean, we we've had uh, negotiations with players, but they've kind of 
not really been able to to follow through as yet. But you know, watch this space. You never know. Uh, Sado Berahino next episode. Who? Uh, no, <laughs> Life in the not. courtroom. Did I say that? <laughs> Possib- well, you have. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I agree, and um, it hopes that some of the perceived uh, or indeed known uh, bad eggs are no longer at the club or out on loan or uh, you know in front of a judge but <laughs> uh, we, we we do move on um, and yeah it, it's like you say that, that I think the, the team everyone points to in terms of like oh, dressing room atmosphere, uh, connection with the fans is the 2008 promotion team, well that's mm-hmm. that team's so well regarded because it got promotion first mm-hmm. and foremost and all the kind of uh, brilliant stuff you associate with those players, like Roy Delap being a brilliant bloke and Ricardo Fuller being a laugh and uh, Lawrence and Whelan and Shawcross and all the rest of it, that sort of reinforces what they did on the pitch, which is the the first thing that makes you uh, fall, in, fall in love with them. Um, question from Jamie are Sam Clucas and Ryan Woods finished here how much money will Stoke City have to spend before we eventually stumble upon three central midfielders who can play together in a balanced 11 mm. uh, we kind of discussed Sam Clucas earlier I, I certainly hope he isn't finished here because uh, it would be an awfully short yeah. Stoke career but Ryan Woods is an interesting one because uh, Ashley Williams came on to play a sort of defensive midfield role uh, yesterday, and you look at Woods on the bench, and he hasn't played for a while. And I, I find that a shame. I know people have kind of criticised him uh, towards the end of Rowett's reign, but I really think he could suit a Nathan Jones team. So I'm not yeah, quite I getting. I do not his... understand it. I said, I said in the group chat um, that I understand that less than Bojan not playing because it just feels like Ryan Woods is a talented footballer. He can. Do, I feel. I still feel like he can do anything that Charlie Adam can do in that role, but better. Maybe that's wrong. I don't know. Yes, he's not that mobile a midfielder, but in that sort of quarterback esque role, that's what he is. And he was having sort of spent some time for Who Are You at Brentford. Their whole sort of ethos with signing players is that they're a good egg, they're a good footballer. So why is he not good enough for Nathan Jones? I, I, I just don't understand it because from what we've seen, and maybe not all the time, but definitely at times, we saw a fantastic footballer and, mm. and someone that I loved watching play football. I, I think he was great. So the fact that he brought on Ashley Williams was just, yeah, bizarre. We, I mean, Stoke is a team that we, are, we have become accustomed to bizarre substitutions, <laughs> but that's normally sort of when we're looking to win a game and change the game plan. Now, bringing off Charlie Adam, there was a like-for-like sub there, but explain that one. I, 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 I couldn't to, find an explanation. To be, to be, fair, to be fair to Nathan Jones, uh, I don't know if you caught his little post-match interview that they do on YouTube, but he, um, he did say something to the effect of he used the, the change with Charlie to bring Ashley Williams on because he felt... Ashley Williams would give them more of a defensive hold um, in the game, whereas he feels that Darren Fletcher and Ryan Woods are more creative players. Um, and so, and, and in that respect, I, I get that he he wants a. We're trying to hold out for a essentially a draw at this point. Um, he he wants to bring on a more defensive player. I get that. Um, 
I certainly hope it's not the end for Ryan Woods because I really, really like him as a player. And as as you say, I think he'd be perfect for this for this system. The the issue, I suppose, for him is I don't know. Is is he is he not showing the same levels of performance in training? I don't know. I mean, it's for us to guess at, I guess. Um, I re- I really hope that he gets the opportunity before the end of the season and. I mean, blinking at that, we we spent a bit on him. It would be, you would imagine we would lose out if we were to sell him in the summer. And and he's, a, I mean, this is a player who last year at at Brentford, you just heard incredible things about. You just heard really, really like glowing reviews. Not the top twenty podcast went on about him like every week, talking about how good he had been for Brentford. So. I really, I want him to. I want him to come good. I, I like him as a player. I, I think you're right. He can sit in that halfback role and and distribute the ball well. I certainly feel long term there is more longevity in in him in that role than Charlie Adam, who, um, <laughs> who who still is massive question marks over. I can't last ninety minutes and performance wise, I don't actually think he's been. Incredible. I know he had that supposed good game against Leeds, and and it was good. But I think that was based on the players able to read what he was doing. Um, yeah, I don't want Ryan Woods to go. Yeah, um, I wonder if the kind of uh, thing with him versus Charlie Adam is just in the kind of um, mentalities of the two players, uh, in that. You, you mentioned, Ben, you, you kind of think Ryan Woods can do everything Charlie Adam can do. And I think you're probably right. It's just that Charlie Adam is more willing to do the Charlie Adam stuff than Ryan Woods is. And I think that's partly because Charlie Adam, look, he's played for Liverpool. He's got X amount of international caps for Scotland. He's been at the club a while and he's kind of dropped down a league now into the championship uh, where he's kind of um, a bit in and out the team and he's he's kind of got a he's got a name and a reputation within the game so he feels kind of a bit entitled to do those 40 yard ping it across the the park kind of passes and that's not to kind of slag him off because sometimes those passes work a lot of the time they don't um but whereas Ryan Woods he's kind of uh, built his name at Brentford and he's come to a bigger club and he started to play well but then he's not then I think he's kind of restricted in in doing that stuff under Rowett. He's kind of not being allowed to express himself fully because at the start I think he was maybe more expressive playing that deep lying role, playing passes about. Okay, he doesn't really play the fifty yard passes across the pitch, but he manages to dictate play that well. So I wonder if it's Ryan Woods started to play within himself a bit more because uh, Rowett wanted more discipline or just kind of a more defensive way of playing for his team. Whereas Charlie Adam, uh, he can just, in a sense, do what he likes because he's Charlie Adam. And maybe for Jones, he just kind of wants someone who can play with a bit more bravado, if you like. In the words of Dua Lipa, he doesn't give a fuck. (laughs) Exactly that. Dua Lipa, an underrated football pundit. (laughs) <laughs> the problem is with that with Woods is that I f- as I think you 
sort of mentioned, it feels like that player was there with it, within him. Mm. It feels like Jones could be able to get that. Like, yes, he is a bit more conservative than Charlie Adam, but I'd, I'd probably say in most parts that's a good thing, especially if you're going away from home and you don't want to lose. I guess, a, I guess the counter argument to Charlie Adam and, and probably what your point was as well is just that yes, he tries things that others just don't try, and sometimes they they come off, which is obviously a good thing if you're trying to get a goal or two away because maybe Charlie Adam pulls off that pass and it creates a goal where Ryan Woods will keep it ticking over. But it just it feels like that player is in him. Like, he can play a 40-yard pass. I've seen him do it. Like, he can pick out those passes. He can dictate play. He can be mobile. So I just want Jones to do that. Like, Jones yeah. be a manager with Ryan Woods. Mould him into the player that I'd love him to be. But maybe that maybe it's all part of Nathan Jones's master plan that I fully trust so it's okay <laughs> okay fair enough um George asks what the hell is our best starting 11 is the diamond dead for this season is the 4-3-3 actually good yeah they, we've kind of talked about this on the podcast before the kind of surprise that he's not really stuck with the diamond at all costs he's he's kind of maybe uh gone to a more familiar system for the player's benefit rather than his own uh, and we've talked about how kind of um, having a, a different formation in his pocket if indeed he does play the diamond next season might not necessarily be a bad thing but the question of our starting 11 is interesting obviously some of us were disappointed Bojan didn't start yesterday although I can kind of understand it away from home uh, What in, instead of I don't want to just sit here and, and name 11. So kind of going forward then, at the top end of the pitch, what do you want to see? Do you like two up front with a number 10 in behind? Do you like the four three three that we're playing now? What would you say of what you've seen so far? What what would you prefer? I want to see the four four two in all its glory. I want to see what Nathan Jones believes is the best way to play football. I think the problem with that is that Joe's always said that this is a work in progress. And I think the problem with that is obviously, for whatever reason, the squad is not suited to that because otherwise he would play because that's the way he believes football should be played. But at some point, we're going to need to start thinking about the future. I don't think 4 3 3 is the future. So I'd love to just, if it's bringing in youth players that might suit the 4 4 2 more or whatever, I don't, I personally, as just a person who talks about Stoke on a podcast don't know what Nathan Jones thinks is missing from that four four two. Like, which positions are not available in that squad? Is it that we don't have two strikers that suit it? Is it that we don't have a proper holding midfielder? Our only holding midfielder is Charlie Adam, apparently, that suits that system. I'd possibly say it's the, maybe the full-backs. the full-backs, yeah. I guess that was a thing. It was... Moritz Bauer, who was starting the four four two when Jones came in, mm. and Moritz Bauer obviously he's not good enough because both <laughs> Rowett and him came to con- conclusion that he's not good enough, which is a great shame for poor Moritz. But maybe then that means that Tom Ed- he thinks Tom Edwards isn't good enough, or Tom Edwards is too sort of young. He doesn't want to sort of put too much on Tom Edwards. Maybe that's the issue. I don't know. But I, th- I think the other the yeah. other thing really is that some of our our key players, players who, if you are trying to manage a squad and manage expectations and keep personalities happy, um, some of their positions aren't really suited. Uh, so, like Tom, so uh, the Ince, yeah, Tom Ince and James McLean. As much as he 
uh, McLean has has worked hard in that striker role, and Tom Ince has played in the number ten. It, it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't really work for him, and then their, their natural positions are out wide. So perhaps there's a certain element where he's like, well, these are the players I've got. This is what I've got to work with. These are the players I I, I need to keep a happy dressing room. Let's adapt to the style to suit these players who 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 we have for now. Yeah. I, I think that's probably it. it. It's probably a mix of things, but it feels like he's, he sees Tom Ince and James McLean as sort of important players uh, for whatever reason, whether that's ability, not seeing much of that at the moment, which doesn't matter, obviously, because it's Ince and McLean. But there we go. Yeah, I think a part of the... Maybe a concern I have is that uh, we haven't really seen either the diamond or... The three-five-two, which was so effective against Leeds, we haven't seen either of those used over an extended period of games. I think we went into Brentford with the diamond and then uh, quickly abandoned that idea. We after Leeds, we played the next game with the three-five-two, I think, and then we lost that and then just kind of scrapped that idea. So uh, it's only the the four-three-three-ish formation that's kind of had a had a proper run. So. Um, Maybe maybe pre-season will be a lot more telling than the end of this one in terms of what his uh, plans are in terms of whether we go back to his beloved diamond or or even stick with the formation we've got now and just maybe swap the pers- personnel around. Uh, David Carr asks, is it 97-78 all over again, i.e. disappointing post-relegation season during which we brought in a go-ahead manager from the lower leagues who led us to promotion 18 months later. Uh, yes, yes, that is exactly <laughs> what is happening. Let's move on. Let's move on to Ryan's question. In a bid to improve morale, Nathan Jones has marooned the entire Stoke team on Desert Island. What will happen whilst they're on this island and how will they escape? At Mary M underscore N uh, he says, uh, none of them actually notice they're on a desert island and just carry on as normal, except for Joe Allen, who can't believe they haven't noticed. Tom says, a mysterious Scottish bloke called Paul appears from underneath the waves, promising to save them. Everybody really likes Paul. The squad and Paul all die from a tropical disease. (laughs) Andrew Mountford. Bojan gets 56 minutes to build a yacht. He sorted out the hull and is moving on to the sails. With some teamwork, it should soon be ready to battle the season, follow the trade wins. On 57 minutes, he's taken off the project and McLean is brought on to fashion a coracle. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Now, Wayne on Twitter has gone absolutely bananas. This this isn't just a tweet. This is four separate tweets of... uh, He's taken a screenshot of the the notes app on his phone. Oh my good God. So this is... Uh, one of four. Oh right. He's been trapped before, hasn't he, on a desert island? <laughs> Initially, everyone is having a great time. Joe Allen uses his basic farming skills to pull up food supplies from the island, and Bojan takes up his natural role as the team chef. His daily barbecues are accompanied by Charlie Adams' dubious pina coladas, which he insists are straight out of Hollywood. Meanwhile, Berhino <laughs> offers out the marijuana he hid in his shoes, much to the delight of Darren Fletcher, whose arthritis is acting up in the tropical heat. 
the team stay fit playing volleyball for the net they use a leftover pair of Peter Crouch's long johns strung up between two palm trees <laughs> <laughs> they use the decapitated head of Hesse as a ball surprisingly Jakob Haugard emerges as the best volleyball player who vows to change his career path <laughs> part two I'm imagining, I'm imagining Hesse's head as like Wilson <laughs> from <laughs> Castaway Hesse <laughs> Anyway, eventually, of course, there is trouble in paradise. The food supplies run out, and everyone realizes they need to escape the island. This causes a disagreement in the camp, and they break up into two factions. The first is led by Nathan Jones, who believes God will save them. He's joined by Alan Vokes, Williams, Bart, and Afobe. The rest of the players are led by Adam Federici, who has some sailing experience thanks to his Australian upbringing. He thinks they can (laughs) escape by building a raft, and all the players soon put together a very wonky boat. Moritz Bauer makes a point of calling it Noah's Ark whenever whenever Nathan Jones is in earshot. <laughs> Federici's crew set off in their boat, leaving Nathan Jones and his disciples behind. There's some initial panic as the boat begins to take on water, but chucking Kevin Vimmer overboard seems to do the trick, and the SS Federici is soon on its way. Alan and co look worried as they watch their teammates disappear over the horizon, but they have faith in Nathan Jones, who is convinced that divine intervention will come. They all die of starvation three weeks later. <laughs> Goodness me. <laughs> Meanwhile, just off the coast of Puerto Rico, the SS Federici is ac- approached by a ship which is flying a Jolly Roger. A figure wearing a huge feathery hat emerges on the deck and shouts to the raft below, Behold, I am Captain Bangora, and I am the scourge of the <laughs> Triangle. <laughs> <laughs> the players are ever seen again. Wayne, <laughs> ridiculous! Thank you very much. <laughs> I give in. I, mean, I can't. Do, I can't do one. That's that's one. I've I've read it a couple of times, but I still don't expect Bungora to show up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the best one. That's the best. See, my my late in the day scrambled answer was going to be that it turns out that Bangora was already on the island and had a plan to escape but he just needed some friends but it just pales in insignificance StokeyAnt32 says Charlie Adam eats Bojan <laughs> Simple but effective uh, Chris says Potters of the Caribbean with no food the, the lads decide to play a game of survival of the fittest PS they don't escape they're eternally trapped in Nathan Jones locker nice <laughs> Rupert Goff Charlie Adam and Darren Fletcher go insane from the lack of media and start to hunt the rest of the squad. <laughs> Bergen uses Berahino's disciplinary record and the will of God to build a raft. <laughs> <laughs> the raft is captained by Nathan Jones and along the way they lose some of the older players. Eventually, after about two years, the raft ends up crashing into a wealthy island called the Premier League, where Bojan yeah. is thanked for his efforts, but is told that he's not the same after his injury. Oh. The Stoke team on board can't seem to see what all the fuss is about. Oh, that's too real. There is, there are so many dark ones. Again, this one from Atchig Stokey. They don't escape. The whole island gets nuked as a punishment for such a shocking season. Most perish, but Edwards, Atebo and Bojan escape unharmed. Campbell gets lucky because he's still sh- stuck in Shrewsbury. If anything, it's Jones who escapes by way of losing a shit squad. Oh my goodness, <laughs> me. 
Uh, Jason Kent. They form cliques identifiable by the colour of the, their Beats headphones and play FIFA all day before vulture-like helicopters sent by other football clubs come and rescue some players one by one, but not others who are forced to escape in a Range Rover after drinking heavily. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, Stuart Duffy says Saide Barahina gets arrested by the Maritime Police and claims he was running away after being threatened by armed pirates. <laughs> <coughs> Uh, Rich Walton says, "There in luck." Turns out Jermaine Pennant forgot he had a mo- yeah. F- uh, sorry, turns out Jermaine Pennant forgot he had a yacht moored there. <laughs> and I love and I love this refusal to engage with the question from uh, Joe Wayne on Twitter uh, in response to what happens while they're on a desert island. Joe says, "Hopefully they don't." <laughs> nice one. Cheers for engaging. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Uh, <laughs> I, I had a mad ten minutes uh, earlier trying to uh, trying to come up with a Stoke City <laughs> desert island scenario. Um, I haven't really done it as if Nathan Jones has put them there, but what <laughs> I would say is that you know Stoke City they're on the desert island, but what they'd have to do first is kind of look at the reasons why the ship sank. No leadership, wasting money on unnecessary bits of boat, but. They just carry on doing exactly what they were doing before. We convince <laughs> ourselves it will be, it will be fine on the desert island. We'll we'll enjoy being there. We'll be off in no time. Some of the players start building a fire, which Sam Lucas tramples on, and Jakob Halgor drops all the coconuts. <laughs> After six months on the island, we're at each other's throats and start praying. Gary Rowett loses his shit, and the stranded players chant, "Gary Rowett, your survival skills are shit." <laughs> Charlie Adam and Darren Fletcher have found a radio but are giving punditry instead of trying to contact the outside world. Rowett is then cast out from the island on a raft. Joe Allen's managed to keep us alive by hunting chickens, but there's disaster as Saido Berahino runs into the sea instead of doing his work. He's claiming <laughs> someone spiked his coconut. Soon the, cl- soon the camp split in two, despite James McLean's protestations that the two regions should be united. Some of the players have gone mad, convinced they're speaking to a former teammate, but it turns out to be a volleyball. Wilson! Yeah, Mark Wilson. Uh, but on the horizon, a figure is walking towards them, literally walking on the water. Nathan Jones then parts the sea and leads us off into the promised land. Wait. There you go. Happy ending. I like all these bloody... I mean, I worry about some of you lot, the... The kind of the dark places a lot of these uh, a lot of these responses went to, but that's the joy of Ryan's question. It, it reveals the soul. Bit of a weird week in the championship before we uh, head off. Uh, Darren Moore's gone. What? Mm. what? Row it in for West Brom? Do we think? <laughs> oh, that would be so funny after the whole wanting. Oh, we want a good playing style. We get rid of Tony Pulis. We want to play. Really well, yeah. Get Gary Rowett in, mate. That will solve everything for you. I, 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 I think... don't want them to get Rowett. I can't. No. I can't face just in case they go another up. team to like do badly with a former manager that we don't really like. Like that was enough with Southampton. That hope of them also getting relegated was too much. Yeah. Like I, I, I think obviously from the outside it looks like an absolutely ludicrous decision, but I've seen West Brom fans defend it and. They're the ones at the end of the day who sit and watch the games week in, week out. And if there's a general feeling that getting rid of Darren Moore at this point will somehow 
and they can get someone in who will catapult them into the, the automatic places or at least secure the playoffs for them, then, then so be it. What I hope happens, though, is that they crumble and this is seen as an absolute disaster and everyone throws that lovely, oh, you should be careful what you wish for at them and it will be great. But That's yeah. the thing I don't really understand is that what, how many managers are there out there that are going to do a lot better at this stage in the season and take them to promotion? Mm. Well, who like they're doing all right. Yeah, Surely who, just leave it till the end of the season. Who do they get in now? Exactly. Like uh, There is some talk of Slavisa Jakanovic, which is potentially quite interesting. But again, he's just been sacked. Well, well, he was sacked this season from Fulham. So there's no guarantee he'd necessarily be as good with West Brom. It's, it's really just kind of depressing because I know uh, being a nice bloke isn't a, uh, you know, isn't good enough to kind of keep your job. Uh, Paul Lambert is an example of that but he just seemed like a really nice guy and he was you know he seemed to be doing a decent job Uh, okay he might not be as tactically uh, sophisticated as like Bielsa or Daniel Farker has been but you know they scored loads of goals this season that's Mm. it's uh, it's pretty depressing uh, kind of state of modern football eh what you're gonna do mm-hmm. when well, you um, compare that to how much it would take for a stoke manager to get sacked can you imagine stoke second a manager if we were fourth and i'm not, I'm not saying it's that as like something that we should do but that is <laughs> it, that is out of this world thinking like mm. it would never cross anyone's mind i don't think at stoke to be like fourth place you're having a laugh yeah. we we did of course sack good john after we got prom- five days after we got promoted but that was a uh, that was the Icelandics. They were they were bananas. Um, <laughs> speaking of which, uh, not a good weekend for fans in general. A uh, couple of pitch invasions today. Jack Grealish got a big old whack on the uh, side of... It looked like someone was trying to punch his sideburns off, and I can kind of understand that. They are quite offensive. <laughs> but uh, also, uh, a video kind of circulated on Twitter of the QPR fans with James McLean. Uh, just, <laughs> which is like very weird. They, it's like someone's doing a, a parody of like, for want of a better word, gammony football fans. Like, <laughs> Why aren't you wearing a poppy? Where's your poppy? It's March. Just, <laughs> oh. Get over it, guys. Uh, Get over it. Come on. Ah, oh, silly billies. They'll, they'll still they'll reconsider their opinions now they've been called silly billies on a podcast. Uh, they 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 will. I don't think they will know what's hit them at this point. Like they're not recovering from this. They are not recovering. I don't know whether this. you need to issue an apology, Dave. I don't know if silly Billy was far too harsh. They'll be they'll be sitting there on this fine Sunday evening. Out of nowhere, it'll feel like someone's come up to them behind them and smacked them on the side of the head. <laughs> exactly. I'll be sat watching something that you watch on a Sunday night because I've never watched terrestrial television, so I don't know what's on a Sunday night. And Doc Martin. Doc Martin. <laughs> Is that classic Sunday thing? night viewing. And then it'll be just like, oh, God, me, Ed. No, they're not Northern. <laughs> they talk like, me, oh, Ed, mate. Me, Ed. It's my ends. My Ed. God, I wish I didn't call James McLean about his poppies, mate. You got any jelly deals, mate? I'm from I'm from London. Why am I even putting a voice on? 
Oh, what? Ben, Ben, you be, you're being a bit of a silly billy right now. You're being oh. a silly billy. Right Ow! Oh, My head! <laughs> <laughs> Almost as much of a silly billy as Sam Klukas. Is he our silly billy of the week? Yes. And that's, right. well, that's becoming a thing. That's something that needs to be a thing. <laughs> silly billy of the week. <laughs> Sam Klukas. <laughs> Right, we've got the jingle down, so that's pretty much sorted. Uh, I think this silly Billy chat is indication that we should probably call it a call it a night uh, for the Wizards of Drivel podcast. Uh, a reminder that you can get free beer and help us out, but most importantly, get free beer if you go to beer52.com forward slash wizards. Get some get some bloody limoncello beer down here. It's just great stuff. Add um, add a. Belgian style IPA from their brewery in Wales. That was mm, top ten, top ten beers. Uh, wow. But yeah, free free case of it if you go to beer52.com forward slash wizards, or if you want to support us more generally, go to patreon.com forward slash wizards of drivel. Chris, your podcast is shit. You're a silly Billy. Uh, yeah, go away. Dave, stay safe. Stay safe. God, we're drowning in memes. Uh, ben, uh, stay safe. Your podcast is shit. Uh, see you later, everyone. Stay safe. Go on, Stoke.